I actually started a series. This is a strange one. It's like every other week you got something else going on. But uh, I started a series a few weeks ago. And again, I wasn't here last week. And then we had a guest speaker a few weeks ago. But anyway, it's called a solid foundation. Everybody say a solid foundation. So the question is, what kind of foundation for life do you have? So we're, we're talking about that. This is actually lesson number three. I teach in series. Let me back up a minute and say all, everything that we have said is on our website, victorychurchraleigh.com. I encourage you to go there. Also, if you'll go on our website, you can find today's notes. I normally don't, don't have time to say everything in the notes. In fact, yesterday, God changed about everything I was going to say. And uh, I, I had to take half my notes and, you know, move them to next Sunday. Is that okay? So, uh, and then they'll probably change too. But nonetheless, they're on there. Grab it. And I also want to let you know, um, I do a podcast a couple of times a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays. Uh, you can find that. I actually have a website, MitchHorton.com. And uh, I write a blog Monday through Friday. And then the podcasts are available Tuesdays, Thursdays. And then our messages are available on Sundays uh, both at uh, my, my website, MitchHorton.com or VictoryChurchRaleigh.com. Is that okay? So I uh, uh, started this series, uh, you know, just encouraging all of us to get prepared for tough times. Ready or not, I've got a book in my office I got, I think it's 1981, and the author of the book titled the book, Ready or Not, Here Comes Trouble. I'm going to know that's appropriate because that's the way life is. Ready or not, things are going to happen, Right? My encouragement is we're living in an era of time that we don't need to coast. We need to plan and prepare. How many know planning for your future is just as important as living today? Is that true? So, you know, you prepare financially. You want to prepare for a successful marriage. You know, I first started ministry. I, uh, I, I did all the personal ministry for the pastor, and a lot of that was pre-marriage uh, ministry where I prepared the the cuspels and asked them some very probing questions about themselves and what they thought about being married. It was quite insightful. So how many know if you want to get married, you need to get you need to plan on having a good one, right? Don't just think it's going to happen. You got to plan. And then when you have children, you got to plan for your children to grow up and, and be uh, good citizens and and then hopefully know the Lord and meet Jesus one day, right? And then, you know, we also have to plan our interior life. Why? Because what we are on the inside shines brightly when trouble comes. That's why we need to be ready. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. What determines the course of your life? Who I am inside determines how life treats me. What life finds in me determines what life does to me. Y'all get that? You can't keep them, some things from happening, but see, the response we have to what happens, that's what makes or breaks us, yes or no? So, you know, God said, you know, Jesus said at Matthew 5, he causes the rain to, to come down on the just, the unjust, the sun shines down on the righteous, the unrighteous. Everybody deals with the same kind of stuff, but how it affects us is determined not by it, it's by us. No temptation, Paul said, has taken us, but but what is common to other people. Everybody goes through the same stuff, but how it affects us is determined by us, not it. So, right? Y'all can say, yes, that's right, whatever, and I just know you're here. That's okay. Matthew 7, Jesus gave three metaphors. He gave him a metaphor of wind, a metaphor of rain, and a metaphor of flood to, to bespeak problems and challenges in life that come. If you've ever been caught in a sudden downpour, I've been to, Africa many times and 
Boy, the places I went, they had torrential. I called them Noah flood rains. I mean, before you know it, at one time I got caught, and the only thing I had to keep the rain off of me was a, a banana, false banana leaf. It was a big old leaf, you know. And I got soaked, Lord Jesus help us. But nonetheless, rain, wind, flood, um, and the foundation of our life determines how the things that come to us in life affect us. So Jesus said in Matthew 7, a foundation of sand won't stand. You will not be able to stand when troubled times come. But he said, if you have a foundation of bedrock, rock, then you'll be immovable. And he, he, then he uses your house a house is a metaphor of your life. If we're founded on rock, that is the bedrock principles of the word of God, you know what? We'll, we'll be able to sail through the tough times. Yes or no? So I started talking and I thought I'd get it done in one week. Forget it. That ain't gonna happen. I'll get seven things about the word of God to make a part of your life. So I got through two last time. They're online. I'm not even gonna do anything but mention them. Number one, God's word can bring stability to your life. How many think you need to have some stability today? Secondly, ask God for a hunger for his word. And I went into some detail on this. Uh, what we're hungry for is determined by what we give our attention to. So what do you give your attention to? That's what you're hungry for. Yeah, hey, we could talk in detail about that. We did. Go get it. Today, I want to talk about number three. Know that the Bible is the inspired word of God and the inspired word of God can transform you. Now see, nobody gets excited when I say the Bible is the inspired word of God. But you know, our culture doesn't believe that. But if you take it to heart that the Bible is what it says, and we'll talk about the word inspiration in, in just a minute. Once you're settled that the Bible is, in fact, hold, if you've got your Bible, hold it up. If you've, got your, if you've got your Bible on your phone, I don't care. Hold your Bible up. Let me see it. Don't forget to read your, your leather-covered Bible. Hard copy, right? And so, I, I mean, I like to read mine electronically. I probably got 40 translations on my iPad right now, and I got them on my phone, and I've got, you know, the Bible. You can listen to it when I'm riding my bike on the News River Trail. But nonetheless, read the Bible. Once you settle the Bible is the inspired word of God and it's given for you to live by, life will be different. If I don't think that the Bible is the inspired word of God, then I'll be swayed by other people's opinions and I'll be swayed by whatever's current in culture around me. Yes or no? So let me say this. If how you live your life daily identifies and agrees more with current trends than Bible truth, then you may not be a real believer. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I came up with a term, I know, an acronym. This is kind of, my staff will laugh at me. I was preaching a couple of Wednesday nights and, ago, and I, I, and I said, don't be a, a B-I-N-O, a bino. Everybody say bino. What is a bino? Believer in name only. How can you identify a person as a believer in name only? Well, Oh, you come to church, you might have a Bible that you stick in your car so everybody can see, that must be a Christian. That means absolutely nothing. In fact, I would just as soon not see a Bible on somebody's dash and then drive the speed limit and not be a maniac on 440 <laughs> than, the, for, than for them to zoom by me and act like an idiot. Yes or no? Well, that's just another way of saying if, uh, if how I live every day agrees with current trends, then Bible truth, I may not be a, a real believer. A and Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, 
will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he went further and uh, clarified a little more. And he said, many will say, many, not few, many will say, didn't we, you know, prophesy in your name? Do mighty wonder works? Didn't you? Didn't we lay hands on people and pray for people and they get well and do other things and do mighty works in your name? And Jesus looked at him and said, I never knew you. Now, not, there's not a person in the room wants to hear those words, I never knew you, right? So how many know, not a believer in name only, a real believer, when we change on the inside, outward things are different to us. How many know it's true? You know, when I was 18, I, I actually was born again. I had an experience with God when I was eight years old, but it did not take me through my teenage years. And I got involved in drugs and all the things that go along with that, with the friends I had, I, I, friends I had at church. In fact, my friends at church let me, led me into a life of drugs, could have led me into a life of drugs. My friends at church, did you hear me? So not everybody who's sitting around at church is good. You got to figure that out. Now, you know, I think all of you have uh, halos and angel wings, personally. But, but anyway, you know, there might be a rascal or two here. But you know what? This is a good place to come. This is a hospital. Is that true? There's a rascal because I'm here. I'm a rascal without Jesus, right? And don't get religious on me yet. John chapter 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, except you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now he said born again, born from above. And when he said that, the religious, talking to a religious guy, one of the most religious people of his day, he said, what do you mean born again? I'm going to go get back in my mama's womb. That can't happen. I'm a grown man. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, John chapter 3, verse 6, humans reproduce only human life. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. That is, you can't see it, but see the, the, the seeing it is the life tra is transformed to change. Uh, just before my 18th birthday, I was born again. My appetites changed. My interests changed. My deepest cravings in life changed. I no longer wanted to go look at the X-rated movies. Thank God. I no longer wanted to, you know, do drugs and do those things that go along with that. My cravings changed. Let me say, if your cravings haven't changed, check up on your experience with God. A true experience with God changes who you are inside. Yes or no? So, so when you're born again, listen, you repel on the inside what God doesn't like. It's like oil and water, you know. <laughs> What's inside of you is repelled. Uh, it repels what you sense on the outside. You still got the flesh to deal with as a believer, and, and you say, well, you mean you don't have any desires to sin? Oh, you have plenty of them when you're saved. But see, they're on the outside that are, and they're coming in. They're in your flesh. They're in your human body. They're in your mind. But deep, deep down inside of you where the Holy Spirit is resident, he's saying, don't do that. Don't be a part of that. Don't act that way. Don't go there. Don't be with that person. Don't think that way. Think this way. Go to God. Go to the Word. Go pray. Go do something. Take a cold shower, but don't do that. Right? First John 3, 9, no one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. Can I, do I need to read that again? The problem in the church, particularly in America, I've traveled, I don't know, 17, 18 countries, I've told you that, but um, the problem in America, we, give our, we have given ourselves permissions to, to do what God says we shouldn't. 
And then we hang on the idea that, well, if I do it, God will just simply forgive me. The very fact that you're thinking about doing that is a problem. And the fact that there's nothing repelling you and keeping you from doing on the inside should be a danger sign. Because here's what he said again, 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. Because God's seed, his principle of life, the essence of his righteous character, the old, this is amplified, the old amplified said the divine sperm remains permanently in him who is born again, who is born from above, spiritually transformed, renewed and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again, watch, cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he is born of God and longs to please him. That means if I'm really born of God, if I'm a a young boy or girl, I can't sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend every night. I can't live with him and be saved because there's something inside of me that repels that, yes or no? I can't be a chronic alcoholic because there's something that tells me not to let substances control me, but let the Holy Spirit control my life. Yes or no? I can't plant F-bombs on my Facebook page and be a believer because something inside of me says let no corrupt words come out of your mouth, but only that which is beneficial to help someone else. Yes or no? See, there's something inside. It's a monitor. And, you know, now that I know the Lord, you know, uh, most TV shows are disgusting to me. Sitcoms, I don't even know what's on now. But because when I used to try to watch them, they would say one or two things or, or the undertone was such that I'm not going there with my life. Why would I put that in my mind? If you don't want to act a certain way, don't put it in your mind. Hmm. Most movies have become disgusting. You mean, Pastor, you don't watch TV? Well, yeah, I watch stuff like, what, if, what was that thing we were looking at yesterday, Susan? A few minutes. I ask you about it. Fixer upper. Fixer upper. I mean, you're tearing the house down and building it back. All right? Yeah, that's good. That's, that's pretty innocuous, right? Uh, I like to watch certain kinds. I play tennis. I watch tennis. I like to watch things like that. You know, other, other sports. That's okay. Other, uh, other simple things. But, uh, you know, if it's got any, any, uh, any lean towards a mindset that's against God, I cut it off. So let me just say it this way. Y'all okay? If you are not bothered right now by our American lifestyle and emphasis, then you're probably deeply infected by it. Having little within you that repels it. So if you can cut that stuff on and listen and laugh at sin, you got a problem. You don't have the word. There's not enough word, right? Now we're going to get a little deeper in this. You ready? Uh, and this, uh, there was a guy, I forgot his name. It's a quote from a couple of hundred years ago, and you hear it all the time now. But sin will take you farther than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you ever thought you would pay, Right? So anytime you get an idea, well, I can do that. Well, Dave, God forgave David. I mean, he lusted, committed adultery, had a man killed. And he's going to say, Jesus is going to sit on his throne in eternity. If God forgave David, well, God will forgive me. Don't forget, my friend. David inherited problems the rest of his life because he sinned. So is what you're wanting to do uh, worth having a problematic hell on wheels life the rest of your life just because you wanted to satisfy your flesh and do what your friends are doing? I don't think so. 
The other thing is we don't realize sin is deceitful. Hebrews chapter 3 says that sin hardens. When you harden something, it doesn't work like it did. You know, I've had, I've had all kinds of uh, calluses on my hands. I've had calluses on my feet from jogging for 33 years. I mean, you know, my big toe, I got this huge callus. I mean, you know, what do calluses do? You can't feel pain. I, when I was a little boy, I'd, I'd take a needle. I had so many calluses because my dad made me help him around the house with different things. And I'd, st- I'd go to school and I'd stick a needle through my callus and the girls would go, uh, but I, I didn't feel pain where the callus was. See, sin hardens, right? And when sin hardens, it'll cause you to do things that you think are okay and they're not okay. When we dumb down our conscience, we're in trouble. The Bible says a person that doesn't have a conscience is like a defenseless city that doesn't have a sentry that's watching for the enemy to come, right? So how's your conscience? We dumb our conscience down when we do what we know we shouldn't do and we think it's okay and we'll ask God to forgive us. God may forgive you if you're truly repentant, but just don't forget that it'll cost if we continue in things that we shouldn't do. Yes or no? So bottom line, I said all that to say this, the Bible has lost its place in American culture and we're in a downward spiral, the likes of which I have never seen. Have you? mediocrity is knocking at our door. So let me say it this way. If I've heard the Bible or read the Bible but do nothing with it, then the Bible means nothing to me. If I read my Bible in the morning but it doesn't affect what I do at 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon or, or what I do you know, in the evening hours or at night, if I read the Bible and do, it, and do nothing with it, then you know what? It means nothing to me. If I hear but don't apply, it means nothing to me. It's inspiration means little or nothing to me unless I practice it. Yes or no? So I got to go into the weeds here a little bit. Colleges, now watch this. Colleges are trained or geared, listen, to train students to be anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-marriage, pro-liberal sexuality where sex anywhere with anybody in any relationship I want to is perfectly fine. Yes or no? So parents, you, you, you know, you're sending your kids, name the college. I don't care which one it is. Even now a college can say it's a Christian college. You better go check out the curriculum. Better go check out the teachers. Yes or no? But they're spreading things that, you know, I can promise you as a parent, I have four children. They're all grown and raised and married. They've all been to school and graduated. They all have their careers. And then we have eight grandchildren. But when we sent our children to college, I was well aware that the things that they would be exposed to would be things that they would not want to raise their children by. And so I began to talk to them about what, and if I said, let me see your curriculum, let me see your book. Oh my goodness, the things that they read to me in some of their sociology classes and other classes, I'm telling you, it's really, really bad. Even in elementary school now, middle school, high school, there's a system of sexuality that is against biblical norms as well as historical norms, and it's being propagated, homosexual, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, pansexual, transsexual, and there's probably several more that I don't understand and don't want to understand. They're being promoted as an acceptable lifestyle. I've even noticed that when you're filling out a form instead of saying male, female, 
They'll, they'll, they have other things, trans this, trans that, whatever. You know what? Uh, used to be we used to think logically. Now logic has gone out of the window. Why is all this happening? Because the, uh, uh, by and large in American culture, we do not believe in the inspiration of the Bible. If you believe the Bible is inspired, it changes how you live. And if this book doesn't change how you live, it's a telltale sign that you don't believe it's inspired. How many hear me? If you turn a population away from God, the morals of the Bible, the racial love and respect for each other that comes from the Bible, that nation's easily controlled. Yeah? Where there are no standards, the populace is easily swayed. You see, there's a scheme, there's a plan underneath the surface here. There are those that want the whole globe to be one people. They don't want us to have a constitution. They don't want, want us as a nation to have an individual belief system. They want everybody to answer to one human government, one person. The Bible calls that person Antichrist. And friends, that kind of thing is working in America today. And the only way it won't take hold and root and rule our nation is we've got to stand up as believers and say we actually believe the contents of this book. Yes or no? Belief in the Bible is what made us great. We're losing our edge because we've laid it aside. I've got a few quotes. I'm not going to give all of them for time, uh, from, uh, but I've got some quotes about the Bible from our past uh, in America, and these are the kinds of attitudes that made our nation great. George Washington, our first president, said this above all, the pure light of revelation has had an influence on mankind. He's talking about the Bible when it says the pure light of revelation and increased the blessings of society. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. Do you know our first president said that? Thomas Jefferson, I've always said that a studious perusal of the sacred volume will make better citizens, better fathers, and better husbands. Whether you're not, you like a person's politics, lay that aside. Theodore Roosevelt said this, almost every man who has by his life work added to the sum of human achievement has based his life work largely upon the teachings of the Bible. And this is written in yesteryear, not today. We're coming apart at the seams today. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the young must be taught and they must be taught truly if the spring waters of democracy are to be kept untainted, the influence of the scriptures in the early days of the republic is plainly revealed in the writings, writing and thinking of men that made this nation possible. They found in the scriptures that which shaped their course and determined their action. Samuel Colgate, manufacturer, philanthropist, the only spiritual light in the world comes through Jesus Christ and the inspired book without his presence the teachings of the Bible would be enshrouded in moral darkness and despair. Nations without Christ contrasted with those where Christ is accepted so, uh, reveal so marked a difference that no arguments are needed. Y'all, I have traveled to nations. You, we call them, you know, we in America call them third world nations. We're becoming a third world nation because we are rejecting the light that made us great. You like your prosperity? You like those dollar bills in your checking account? You like to have some money in your purse or your wallet, you know, those are the blessings of our forefathers. And the very fact, I mean, I've, I've, I've thought about this long, long and hard in my travels uh, to particularly to, to other beleaguered nations. And I sit there and I've watched the cultures. I've been in places without 
water, without electricity, where they still wear animal skins and, and live in uh, thatched roof, dirt walled houses with dirt floors. And I'm thinking, God, why are we not that way? That way? And when you boil it all down, the reason was we got a hold of God, his morality, what he thinks, what he values, how he says that we're to treat people, how, how we're to work, how we're to govern ourselves, how we're to respect authority, how we're to be honest. And those are the things that made us great. We forsake those things, we go down. That's where we are right now. How many hear me? Uh, we call the Bible inspired and that alone sets it apart from every other book you read. I, you know, I, I have a goal. I think I have a goal to read at least 12 books, brand new books this year. I read a lot. I like to read. I, I read the Bible more than I read books and we should, right? You should have a goal to read through your Bible every year, but not just read it, meditate on its contents and get it on the inside of you. But I love to read, but when I read the Bible, I read it differently than I read any other book. I've taken speed reading courses. I know how to focus my eyes to where I can go down a page fairly rapidly and glean the sense of what the author's trying to say without reading every single word because, you know, it just takes too long. And, you know, if you learn to do that, that's good. But I've never done the Bible that way because the Bible's a different book. When I go to the Bible, I revere it. I respect its contents because it is what it says it is, and that is it is inspired. 2 Corinthians 3.16, y'all hear? All scripture is given by inspiration. Everybody say inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, in every good work, a message paraphrase, every part of Scripture is God-breathed. Instead of saying inspired, it says God-breathed. The, the Greek word there, inspired or God-breathed, is theopanustos. Theo is the word God. Panustos is the word for spirit, air, wind, uh, breath. In fact, uh, panuma is a derivative of that word. In my, for instance, my Wi-Fi at home. If you go in my neighborhood and sneak by my house and you got your Wi-Fi on on your phone, you'll see Panuma. That's mine. That's mine, but you can't get to it because it's pretty well encrypted. Nonetheless, Theopanustos. It's, the Bible is as much the word of God as if you could feel his hot breath on your face as he's talking. Do you believe that? You may say that. Let me ask a different question. Do you live as though... Or let me say it a different way. What you hear and what you read from the Bible, has it planted itself and translated itself into your thinking, your decisions, how you work, how you relate to your friends, how you govern your physical person, your mental person, and your emotional person? If it hasn't translated into that, then, then to you it is not inspired. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how. You know, God's word is inspired. Now, I asked him to get me some, this is a really pretty balloon here. Let me, uh, I have dry mouth, so hang on. You didn't mess with this balloon, right? You know, I asked my grandkids to get me a balloon that's all wet on the end, you know. So, so look at what happens. So, 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 so what happens when I blow up this balloon? Watch. Let me see if I can do it. Now look at it. Oh, it's pretty. Look at that. What does that balloon have in it? Where did that air come from? 
What does the air that comes from my lungs contain? What? It contains my DNA. I guess you could get you a swab and get some of my DNA. You ain't going to do it. (laughs) That contains me. When God breathed his word and it was written, it contains him. When you get that word and place it in you, you put part of him in you. Does that change you? Huh? Yes, it does. God's DNA. The Bible came through 40 different people from all walks of life over a period of, and you know, different people say different things, 1,600, 1,800 years or so. And uh, nothing in the original languages it was written in contradict. A guy, I've read his book many times. It was uh, one of the first theology books I read by Genesis Finnings Dake entitled God's Plan for Man. He said these books of the Bible were written by men from all walks of life, such as kings, priests, judges, lawyers, princes, shepherds, soldiers, courtiers, statesmen, musicians, inventors, singers, poets, preachers, prophets, fishermen, farmers, tent makers, publicans, physicians, rich men, poor men. They were written in various lands on three continents, Europe, Asia, Africa. They were written in different ages by many men. Some who never saw each other or knew what the others wrote on the same subjects, yet their writings became one book and there is not one contradiction among them. That's amazing. Another, uh, just a little tidbit that lets you know the Bible is a supernatural book. If you can find an old book from ancient history and, and if you can find at least five copies, in fact, right now those that are in the know say that if you can find five copies of a manuscript of a classic book that we read, then we know that's a, that's a legitimate book. It actually existed in history, and its contents is secure. If you can just find five ancient scrolls where that book has been written by hand, you can say that's a legitimate book. Guess what? You can find over 2,000 copies of this book right here from ancient history. Why did God do that? Because he wanted us to know him and he wanted us to read about him and he wanted us to know his values on life. My friends, if you want your life to be different, you want your life to be great, if you'll make this book, the Bible, the foundation of who you are, how you think, how you talk, how you relate, how you make decisions, what you do, this book will prosper your life. Yes or no? Second Peter chapter 1 Uh, Verses 20 and 21 is another place in Scripture where it talks about its inspiration. Knowing this first, everybody okay? Knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. uh, New International Version. No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. That's a little clearer. For prophecy, never prophecy, meaning the writings in the Bible, never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. Actually, the Greek rendering is swept along. The idea that a person sitting here and, and, and they have no idea what they're about to say, they're just, they're just moved and they start writing. Now, you know, people do this weird writing stuff today and they just start writing and they say it's inspired. Now, that could be and probably is demonic. That went over real big right there. No, they were swept along by the Holy Spirit. 
Genesis Finney's Dake again, God's plan for man. He said about the Bible, it's the book that contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts binding, its histories true, its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Here heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good its design and the glory of God its end. It should fill your memory, rule your heart, and guide your feet in righteousness and true holiness. How do you like that? Read it slowly, uh, frequently, prayerfully, meditatively, searchingly, devotionally. Study it constantly, perseveringly, industriously. Read it through and through until it becomes part of your being and generates faith that will move mountains. It's a mine of wealth, a source of health, and a world of pleasure. It gives to you in this life. It is given to you in this life, will be opened at judgment, and will last forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the least to the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. It's an amazing book, y'all. You know, let me say, I said all that to say, back in my teens, you know, I had my whole life in front of me. I was 18 years old. I, you know, I was going to college to be an electronics engineer. I just wanted to be a successful business person and just make money and get married and raise a family, have kids and all that, just like everybody else did my age. And uh, just wanted to have, I just wanted to have a good life. But when I came to Jesus and, and I really took to task for the first time that the Bible is the Word of God and that if I, if I believed its contents and guided, let it guide my life, that I would be successful. I, I started my life that way. And I decided that I would let the, the Bible be what Bible scholars call the infallible rule of faith and practice. That is, when I, when, I wanted, when I want to have a conversation, what does the Bible say about this conversation? When I want to relate to an individual, what does the Bible say about that? When I relate to an authority figure, when I go to my boss, when I relate to the government, when I relate to a friend, when I relate to the opposite sex, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about me spending this money on that? What does the Bible say about what I value and what I want to do with my private time? Yes or no? See, I made the Bible my infallible rule of faith and practice. I made a decision that, that from here on out, the Bible's going to govern my life. And, and, and to do that, I started to read it every day. Not just read, but memorize and you know now it judges my thoughts my words my actions my choices and when I'm starting to do something it's second nature it wasn't to start with it's like well wait what does the Bible say and when I wanted to do something I had to go find out what the Bible said about it how many hear me and you know what it changed me and uh, let me ask you a question do you believe that the Bible is inspired now let me ask it differently uh, has the Bible changed how you think, how you speak, how you live, how you work, what kind of spouse you are, what kind of parent you are? If you can't say yes, then you don't believe it's inspired. Again, I can come to church, a church, or listen to something online, and maybe it sounds really great and pretty, and maybe it's wonderful, but if I don't apply it to my life, I really don't believe it. How many know you do what you're going to believe? Have you made a personal choice to live by teachings? Are you going to choose to live by the word even though it's culturally unpopular? Huh? I mean, really, people go, you know, if you're in college and you say, well, you know, I got to go read my Bible, your friends are going to go, what you doing that for? 
And you're going to have to say, because I love God and I want, I want him as my friend, my confidant, my director, my helper. I want the Holy Spirit controlling me. And they may laugh at you, but you know, they just have to go laugh at you. When you make a choice, you make a choice. Yes or no? It's no longer enough just to say, I believe I've got to actually believe it. Number four, I'll go to this one and I'm done. The, the word is designed to take Jesus' place and the Father's place in their physical absence. I want you to watch this, John 14. Jesus said this to the disciples. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. Uh, did you hear that? Those who accept my word and obey it, you could say it that way, are the ones who love me. So just because I hear the word, question is, am I practicing it? If I practice it, it proves that I love him. And he said, because they love me, my father will love them. I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Then Judas was there, uh, not Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, uh, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. Now I've taken that one phrase right there. Lord, do I love you enough to do what you say? Jesus said, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? If you love me, do what, what's the telltale sign that I love the Lord? And I mean, you know, y'all, I've been in ministry since 1981. So many people, oh, I love the Lord, Pastor Mitch. They'll shake their head. I love the Lord, Pastor Mitch. And they put all that swag into it and all that religious tone. I love the Lord. And I, then I might just respond, then why are you lying on your income tax? <laughs> if you love me, do what I say. Why are you planting F-bombs on your Facebook page? Why are you dressing like that? You want somebody to lust after you? If you love me, do what I say, right? All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. We will come and make our home with each of them. Here's what you need to know, and I found this to be 100% true. The word has spiritual substance to it. Jesus said, the spirit alone gives eternal life, as John 6, 63, new living. Human effort accomplishes nothing, nothing. The very words I speak to you are spirit and life. See, when you, when you ingest this book, it's like God's placing his DNA inside of you. And it literally changes how you think. So when temptations come, Temptations to lie, temptations to cheat, to steal, to be promiscuous. How many hear me? When the cultural trends come knocking at the door of your life, you've got God's DNA, that is his word in you. Something will say, don't do that. Stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's really not living unless I'm living according to God's standards and his word because that's what makes life successful. I found this uh, years ago back in the 80s when I was a young believer. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Y'all are real quiet. Y'all are listening, right? And we especially thank God continually for this, that when you received the message of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of mere men, but as it truly is the word of God which is effectually at work in those of you who believe, this is the part that got me, exercising its superhuman power and those who adhere to, trust in, and rely on it. I was a young boy, my early 20s, when I read that the first time. And I would sit back in a chair and that last phrase, exercising its 
superhuman power. I can be like Superman. I've got, I've got a power in me that is greater than the power of the flesh. I've got a power in me that this, that's greater than the demonic realm. If you're practicing witchcraft and you're watching online, the power of God is so much greater than you. In fact, it's so great you can't listen to me. Because the power of God overwhelms who you are. There's somebody listening, you're practicing witchcraft. The scripture simply says, you are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You're trying to put hexes and curses and do this. What you don't know when you try to do that to a believer who knows who they are in Jesus, it'll come back on you double. Balaam got one thing right. How can you curse whom God has not cursed? How can you bless whom God's not blessed? How many hear me? So if that's you, you need to repent. Witchcraft is an abomination to God. It's growing a lot in Raleigh, North Carolina. Some strange reason. People are looking for the supernatural power. And they don't realize they're, they're going into the demonic realm. God has power that supersedes all power. He has control that supersedes all control. He has love that can lift blindness and cause you to see straight. Yes or no? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. This word is strong. How many know it eliminates fear? It creates faith. It removes self-doubt, self-hatred. It removes anger and replaces it with knowing that you're loved, you're accepted, you're cared for. It creates a steady life foundation. God's word creates a sense of security uh, in God's forgiveness of sin that creates a holy and humble boldness to go before God and ask for impossible things for your life and for the lives of others. The word of God will crush lust, pornography, addictions. I mean, hear what I'm saying? Adultery thoughts replaces them with purity, replaces them with fidelity in marriage. It crushes sickness. It crushes disease, replaces it with health and wholeness. It removes animosity, racial prejudice, and replaces it that with a love that creates peace and kindness in relationships. Y'all, it'll mess with you. If there's pre What's the answer to racial prejudice that a lot of people are saying is a sepsis in this nation? I say we don't have near the racial prejudice that some people say we have. I say we love each other, we care about each other. You go to any restaurant in Raleigh, you got Asians, you got Hispanics, you got whites, you got blacks. Yes or no? We're all eating together, getting along together, saying thank you together, open the door for each other. Don't buy the lies. Creates an atmosphere where strife and discord can't stay, where love becomes strong, removes envy, hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, and replaces it with a love that sees the best in other people. It creates an atmosphere of honesty that cannot be deceived by lying and deception. Yes or no? <laughs> creates an atmosphere where the kingdom of heaven manifests, where demon spirits have to run. 
creates an atmosphere where peace that passes an ability to comprehend can, can grab a hold of you and minister to you. I want to encourage you, disconnect from the world. Dis- disconnect your thoughts from that which will harm you and ruin you. Stop running with the culture and run into the Word. If you put the Word inside of you, it's going to change you. Lastly, and I'm done. Smith Wigglesworth said this. Smith Wigglesworth was a wonderful English evangelist, died I think 1947, 48, uh, but just had tremendous miracles in his ministry. A lot of books written by him today. But he said this, God's word is supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in valor, infinite in scope, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in application, and inspired in totality. And then I love what he said, and I've read this for years. When he, he said, he said to those who heard him uh, about the word of God, read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, pass it on. Isn't that good? Now, what you going to do with the Bible? Are you, are you getting it inside of you is the question. Or are you compromising with the standards of the culture because it's the polite thing to do, seems like the easy thing to do. The winds of change are blowing, my friends, in American culture. And at some point, you and I are going to have to stand up and say we believe what others don't believe. And that, that means we've got to be willing to be vilified, uh, set aside, you know, persecuted uh, and, and spoken about in, in, in wrong ways. But you know what? When you put the Word of God first, you always come out on top. <laughs> 